0: Go ahead and grab a seat. We do want to welcome our online community. I always forget to do that. I know my mom watches every week. She sends me text messages when we're having technical difficulties, like somehow I'm going to be on my phone here in the middle of the sermon. But love you, Mom, and a shout out to you. I made a new friend, Baby Juju, this week. Shout out to you. Anyways, do you know that in some South Pacific islands, the person that is holding, carrying the conch shell, is the person with the authority? The person carrying the conch shell is the one who's in charge. Today's sermon is Who is carrying the conch shell of your life? Who has the, or what has the ultimate authority, the final say in your life? Who's carrying the conch shell? And so let me ask you some questions, maybe to press even deeper for us. I mean, when you're asking the big question, why am I here? Who's carrying? The conch shell in your life, when you're forced to face reality, when you're confused, when you feel lost about the direction of your life, who has the final authority? When it comes to establishing a standard for morality, for right and wrong, who or what is your final authority? What voice has the most influence on you, right here, right now, in real time? What person, what voice, what author, what influencer? Is it a parent? Is it a podcast? Is it a pundit, a politician? Is it your feelings, your friends? Is it the Kardashians? (laughs) You know, I looked online, the top podcasts in America right now, the Joe Rogan Experience, Is he your final authority? Ben Shapiro, Jordan Peterson, Stuff You Should Know, This American Life, Call Her Daddy, the Sex and Relationship podcast. Who has the final say? Who's influencing you when it comes to the choices that you're making, the direction of your life? Who are you trusting? Who are you yielding to? Who are you following? First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. The Apostle Paul is writing to Christians in Thessal- Thessalonica, and uh, here's what he says. For this reason, we constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe, which also does the work of God in you who believe. The word of God does the work of God in you who believe. When you trust God's word, When I yield and surrender and follow, living that fully surrendered life, trusting God's Word, it does a work in me. It shapes me. It changes the way I think. It helps me with relationships. It changes my attitude, my outlook. It gives me the ability to see life out there, a new perspective. Here's what... uh, Tim Keller writes, he says, faith is not primarily a function of how you feel. Pause. Some of us are making decisions and we just kind of put our faith in our feelings. If, 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 if it, it just kind of feels right and we trust that and I'm not negating feelings, but boy, I don't know about you, but my feelings go all over the place. He says, faith's not primarily a function of how you feel. Faith is living out and believing what truth is despite what you feel. And so, in my life, I did not grow up trusting God. I did not grow up putting my trust in God's Word. But here I am now, some 40 years later, and I can say that for the last 40 years, that doctrinal statement that God's Word is the only perfect rule for faith, doctrine, and conduct, the way we live and treat other people, that God's Word is the final authority in my life. Doesn't mean I'm perfect in living it out, but it's that ruler it's that way of life that I'm, when I'm lost, when I'm not sure what to do, God's Word is the way. Jesus, and God's Word, by the way, we don't, let me just be clear about this, we don't idolize the Bible. We don't worship the Bible. I know sometimes I think churches, we can kind of move in that direction. No, the Bible points us to Jesus. The written Word of God points to the living Word, Jesus, Jesus. And so, the purpose of Scripture is to point us to the life giver, to the Savior of the world. And his name's Jesus. In Luke 24, after Christ had died and he rose again, and on that road to Emmaus, he comes alongside those couple of followers, and it says this in verse 27, he's having a conversation with them, and then he sa- it says, beginning with Moses... And all the prophets, beginning with Moses, that would be the Torah, that would be those first five books, and all the prophets. So, he's pointing back to the Old Testament, beginning with Moses and all the prophets. It says, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. You want to underline that in your Bible if you have a Bible today. The Old Testament is pointing to, would you want to be part of that Bible study? With Jesus in the Old Testament, and he's going, all those scriptures, man, they're pointing to me. And so, really quickly this morning, I want to, it's kind of a basics, a 101 on why is the Bible trustworthy? And I just want to make a few points here. The first one, kind of the external evidence, is the unity of the Bible. The unity of the Bible, it's written over a span of 1,500 years by more than 40 different authors from every walk of life, a fisherman, kings, a doctor, shepherds, a tax collector. These were the writers, and they were written in many different places on three different continents in many different genres, historical narrative, wisdom literature, the prophetic, literature, poetry, parables, hyperbole. So when people, don't don't miss that last word, hyperbole. People go, well, you don't follow the Bible literally, do you? Well, it depends on the genre. Hyperbole is overstatement. When Jesus says, hey, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your right eye causes you to lust, gouge it out. If we did that literally, I mean, we well, most of the men in here, we'd be like blind, right? I mean, we don't literally follow every verse of the Bible. You have to understand it in its context and the genre, the kind of literature that you're reading. Is it poetry? Is it historical narrative? Is it parable? Story with a point? But here's the beautiful thing. In all of those different types of literature, And all those different authors and all those different places over all those 1,500 years, there's still a central theme, a a unity to all of Scripture pointing to Jesus and the restoration of all things, pointing to Jesus and his redemptive work on the cross and his commitment of restoring all things. Then you move to the second point which is simply archaeology. I'll just throw that one in. No archaeological discovery has proven the Bible to be false. And I read this week, I remember this name back when I was in seminary, William Albright, who by the way was not a friend of Christianity, yet the foremost authority in Middle East archaeology. He said that archaeology has confirmed the historical or the historicity of the Old Testament. A guy that's not even a fan of Christianity is saying it's historically accurate. Then you move to prophecy. The third reason we believe the Bible is trustworthy, over 300 prophecies made about Jesus in the Old Testament, his place of birth, how he would die, the nation of Israel will reject him, on and on and on. And all made hundreds of years before Jesus walked on planet Earth. Now, what are the odds that one person could fulfill 300 prophecies that were written a few hundred years before that person walked on planet Earth? What are the odds that one person could fulfill those 300 prophecies? Well, there's a guy who wrote a book called Science Speaks, Peter Stoner. What a last name, Stoner, man, okay. I guess you had to be uh, living in the 70s to get that one. But um, here's what he writes: Peter Stoner, in his book *Science Speaks*, helps us visually comprehend the staggering odds of this probability. It's one in, and then a one with 17 zeros behind it. I don't even know how to. Where's Dylan? I need I need you to tell me what that number. I don't even know how to pronounce that. But that's the odds, one in, one with 17 zeros behind it. So, comprehend the staggering odds of this probability. And so, Stoner proposed that we take, listen to this, that many, I mean, that's trillions, that many silver dollars and lay them across the state of Texas. He says, and he writes, in doing so, we'd find that the, that they stack up across the state of Texas two feet deep, across the entire state of Texas, silver dollars, two feet deep. Then he says, but wait, there's more. Now mark one of those silver dollars with an X on it and then throw it, it, stir up all those silver dollars and then blindfold a volunteer and tell him that he can travel anywhere he wants in the state of Texas, but he must in one pick, pick out the marked silver dollar. That is how difficult it would be for one single person to fulfill all those 300, now just just sit in that. Regardless of what you believe about the Bible, about Jesus, about religion, spirituality, the prophetic literature, the prophecies about this Messiah, this one person, that he fulfilled, it's staggering. So, you have the unity of the Bible, you have archaeology, you have prophecy. And when I asked Walter, Han- Dr. Walter Hansen, who helped us start this church, New Testament professor at Fuller Seminary uh, back in the day, I said, Walter, why do you believe the Bible's trustworthy? Why, why? And he said, you know, I get it. Unity of the Bible, that's great. Archaeology, great. Prophecy, great. But..." What carries the most weight for me is that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ himself saw Scripture as authoritative. Jesus viewed the Bible, and in that day, of course, it was the Old Testament. He viewed Scripture as authoritative, and because he did, we do, I do. And now you might say, well, how do you know Jesus viewed it as authoritative? Well, here's a few verses. Matthew 4, three different places. Remember the temptations of Jesus out in the desert with the evil one? Three different times. And he was tempted, and then Jesus replied, the Scriptures say, the Scriptures also say, for the Scriptures say... And he's pointing to Scripture's authoritative. You can tempt me, but here's what God's Word says. And that's the final say in my life. I'm not listening to that voice or that voice or that voice or that voice. I'm listening to this voice as the authority in my decision-making, in my choices, in my lifestyle, in the way I do marriage, in the way I do friendship, in the way I approach my life. In John 17, verse 17, Jesus prayed this prayer to his father. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Jesus affirming the truth of God. And then, of course, at the end of Matthew 28, the Great Commission, Jesus came and he told his disciples that I, he says, I've been given all, what's the word? Authority. I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples. So, here's where the rubber meets the road. You and I have to make a decision. Am I going to trust Jesus that he has ultimate authority in my life? Am I going to trust that the word of God, that the words of Jesus have the final say in my life? N.T. Wright, he wrote an article called, How Can the Bible Be Authoritative? Now, I read this thing. It was like 20 pages long, man. The first 10, I'm like, dude, I, I, I can't even understand what you're saying right now, man. It was just so dense and deep. man. I had to read this thing like three times. But there's a quote in here that I do understand, and let me read it for you. God's authority vested in Scripture is designed to liberate human beings to judge and condemn, not people, to judge and condemn evil and sin in the world. Why? In order to set people free, to be fully human. That is what God is in the business of doing. That is what his authority is there for to set people free, to liberate you and me, to liberate us and to set us free from fear, from addiction, from bitterness, from insecurity, from selfishness, to free you and me to live a life of love, to love well, to live generously. That's why we were created, to know God and to make him known. To be set free from being a people pleaser, for needing it, from needing anyone, to, everyone to like you or me. Just soak in that. Some of you were raised where the Bible was a sledgehammer. You look at the Bible and you're not like, dude, that's not a freedom instrument <laughs> or a book about freedom. That's actually a sledgehammer that my parents beat me up with and used it to create so much fear and guilt and shame That's not the purpose of the Bible. That's not the purpose of God's authority. That's not God's dream for your life. And so today, I hope that God will set you free in your heart to read this book. Not afraid of it. God's not afraid of your questions. God's not afraid of your doubt. God's not afraid of your scars. He says, come, just come, just come. Open the book. Feed on these words. Let them be food to nourish your starving soul. Let them be your guide in how to live your life. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, just look at these words. He says, You're truly my disciples if you hold to my teachings. In here, you are truly my disciples if you hold to my teachings. Well, what happens if I do that? Then you will know the truth. There are people in here right now that are confused about my truth, your truth, whose truth, what truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. You want to know the way? To become your best self, to live your best life, follow Jesus. You want to know the truth about life and how to live it? Follow Jesus. You want to live life to the fullest? Follow Jesus. If you are truly, put that back up. If you are truly my disciples, you are truly my disciples, if you hold to my teaching, then you will know the truth. And then this last part. You know, out in our culture, they they only quote the last line. They don't quote the first part. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And that's the purpose of the Bible is to set us free, not to beat us up with guilt and shame, and we're not enough, but to set us free. So I'm going to close with this thought. DJ said, we got junior high kids at camp. Camp is a special place. Raise your hand if you went to camp as a kid or an adult. You've been to a Christian camp in some way. Okay. Well, back, I don't even remember what year it was, but Billy Graham went to Forest Home here in Southern California, Christian camps. Many of us have been to Forest Home. And Billy Graham was a Christian at the time. But in his autobiography, he tells the story that it was at Forest Home that he was struggling with some doubts. He had some questions. He was kind of wavering about almost like a smorgasbord faith, kind of going through the food line, picking what he wanted and leaving what he didn't want and and how many of us live our life that way when it comes to the Bible. Oh, I like that part that I'm forgiven, God's grace, God's for me. Ooh, Love your enemies. Mm, not so sure I want that part. Oh, forgive those who, I don't know about, right? Oh, Jesus is the way, the truth. Oh, I'm not sure. And Billy Graham came up to a tree stump and he put his Bible on it. And right there he said, "I got." he made a commitment. He made a commitment where he said, I got to quit wavering. Do I believe the Bible or not? Is it trustworthy or not? Is it the final authority? Does it have the final say? Am I going to let God, Jesus Christ, be in charge of my life or not? And right there, they have a memorial at that camp for him. that tree stump. He made a commitment. He said, I still have some doubts, God. I still have some questions, God. I might even have some scars from my childhood and religion, God, but you're big enough for all of it. And so right here, right now, in this moment, I am making a commitment to embrace all of, and in the book it says, thy word. All of your word. All of it. He decided in that moment that God's word was going to be the conch shell of his life. And so I'm going to ask you right here, right now, where you are, you, you can go either way. You, you might be a Christian like Billy Graham and go, nah, I'm in more into smorgasbord Christianity. I'm going to tell you something. If that's where you live, you will never experience the power of God in your life when you're wavering. You got to go all in and then you see God show up and speak to you and the Holy Spirit come on you and you see your life lived in a whole different dimension, lived in freedom. That's God's heart for you. If you will make his word, his written word and the living word, Jesus, the conch shell of your life. Let me pray for us. God, I stand up here desperately just praying and hoping and desiring that every person in this room would embrace your perspective. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. And in this moment, I invite you wherever you're at, just Maybe just put your your hand on your heart. If you're saying, you know what, I'm going to make a decision today to let the word of God do the work of God in me. I'm going to trust it as authoritative. It doesn't mean you don't still have some questions or doubts. It just means you're by faith going to trust that this is the inspired word of God that will point you to the life giver, Jesus Christ, the savior of the world. Lord, right here, right now, we commit ourselves to following your teachings wholeheartedly, to trusting your word enthusiastically. And God, I pray that you would change us, shape us, mold us, influence us, and make us more like Jesus Christ, People that love well and live generously on planet Earth with people across the street and around the world. Use us. We want to be people of the word, people who learn the word, people who love, grow to love the word, and then people who will live the word. And so have your way in us now. Do the heart change, the life change, the mind change. Change the way we think so that we can be the men and women you dream for us to become as we walk out of here different than when we walked in. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna invite you to stand. We're gonna sing a song, The Words Are Powerful. It's really a song of affirmation, confirmation on authority. So let's, let's just sing from our heart with that passion and enthusiasm, and I'll just say, as we sing this song, when we get to the end of it, we're gonna we're gonna create some space for those that want to stay and keep worshiping. The band's gonna keep playing for those of you that maybe you got to get your kids, or you're like, I'm out. Great. We're just gonna ask you not to stay in here and talk, but just to take the conversation outside after this song. Um, we just want to invite the Spirit of God. To speak to us as we sing together. And uh, at the end of this song, if you need to sneak out, go ahead. If you want to keep singing another song or two, move down forward. All right, let's sing.